Hey everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. On today's episode, we are excited to be joined by Katie Rocks of Nice Horse. Now, Katie's journey has taken her in many different directions, but the one thing that has remained constant is music, especially back in 2015, where she was essentially ready to give up on music and chase her other passions. But a girl's trip to Hawaii changed everything. That's when members of Nice Horse came together for a fun little trip just to share their music. Well, along the way, it turned into something much more. They formed the band, and ever since then, they have been working to grow, they have survived a pandemic, and they have come out on the other side stronger than ever. So please enjoy our conversation with Katie Rocks. So let's start off with some newer news, some exciting news and the CCMAs. And you are nominated for Specialty Instrument Player of the Year with your banjo playing. And every member of the band is actually nominated for their instrument within their playing. Now, how does it make you feel to be recognized individually in that way? I mean, man, imagine if one of us hadn't. That'd be awkward. I mean, I did think about that and I was like, for sure it'll be me and I'm still going to celebrate my ladies. I don't care. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, it was pretty there. It's really hard to put it into words because I was like incredibly flattered, pretty blown away and really proud of my band band members. And honestly, I was really proud of myself too. You know, like I look at those players who are in that that category um, in the specialty instrument and they're all absolutely incredible. And like some of them I have like called and been like, Hey, can you give me a tip on how to do this and how to do that? Like they are incredible players and I've only been playing the banjo for six years. And so I I heard you say that, right? Like I hardly feel worthy to have been recognized for it. Um, And then I remember Brandy saying, and she goes, but look at what you've accomplished in six years. Like, she's like, look at it that way. And I was like, good point. Okay. I could celebrate this. Cause I I almost felt a little silly. Um, But again, really, I'm also like, I'm also really proud of myself and the accomplishment and to be recognized um, for something like that, you know, and, and for my whole band, I mean, I think they are dynamite players who absolutely deserve to be recognized. So it's, it's pretty cool. And it's really unique as well, you know, to have like a, uh, someone else did the research for us to say that a band, a full band hasn't been nominated in this fashion since in 31 years when it was. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So that's also really cool. <laughs> that is awesome. And did I hear you say that you didn't pick up the banjo until your first time that you all sort of got together as a band. It wasn't a band back then, but the first time you all took a trip and started writing together, was that the first time you picked up the banjo? Yeah, it was, it was a, it was a bit of like a, we had quite a bit of drinks and I was like, you know what? I should play the banjo in this band was kind of how that went. And um, you know, cause our band, it, it didn't, I don't want to say we took it lightly, but we didn't start out this band with any intention. It was, we took a girl's trip to Hawaii to write some songs and just have fun. And that's all it was. I had said I was retiring from music. I was kind of sick of the grind and I was like, I'm going to do something else. And Brandy was like, Brandy, the bass player said, why don't you just come to Hawaii and we'll write some songs. It'll be super fun. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I love music. I could do that. And, um, and then the, the, it just, 
it took on a life of its own very quickly, I think, before any of us realized it. And so some of the things that we agreed to at the time, we had agreed to, and for me with the banjo, thinking, well, it's really no big deal. I'm just going to play the banjo every now and then with my buddies. Right, so, yeah. You know? So did I think on the beach in Waikiki like seven years ago that I would fast forward and get a, <laughs> a specialty player instrument, especially instrument player of the year nomination? No. So that's why I'm like, this floors me. Like, I'm like, I can't believe that we've taken this band this far. <laughs> that's amazing. And you are sponsored by, I had the name of the company. Oh, banjos, Deering Banjos. Yes. So talk about them and sort of what that means within the banjo world, because within the guitar world, you have your Gibsons and manufacturers like that. But within the banjo world, what does that mean to be playing the Deering banjo? Deering banjos are amazing. When I first said I was going <laughs> to go on this banjo adventure, um, it was actually Chris Duncombe from Washboard Union who lent me a banjo okay. um, to play it. And so I was playing it and I knew I needed to find my own. And I went to... Um, I went to one of the stores here in Vancouver and I picked up the banjos and the one I just kept going back to over and over again was a Deering banjo. And it's still my favorite banjo. So that's the one that I ended up buying and I just fell in love with it. It, it plays the best way I can describe it is it plays like butter. It just like it, it moves exactly the way you want it to. And it sounds so good. It just, it has it just is everything you could possibly want in a banjo. And so I contacted Deering Banjos and I was like, I absolutely love your banjos. And I'd be very interested in working with you in an endorsement. Um, and if you don't want to, that's okay, because I'm going to play your instruments anyways. Like I already bought one. Right. Um, and so, and, and Jamie Deering, like that's her family who founded, who founded Deering Banjos. She got back to me and she was super interested in, in you know, in, in working with me, um, which made me really happy because then I, I got another banjo. Um, but yeah, I was, I was using that butter description. I felt really lucky during the, uh, during the pandemic, um, Ashley Campbell, who's Glenn Campbell's daughter, she's a banjo player. And um, she had posted, I follow her on Instagram and she had posted, does anybody want a banjo lesson? And I was like, oh my God, Yes. So I messaged her and I was like, I'd love to take a banjo lesson from you. And she replied and she took me up on it. And I took a, a Zoom banjo lesson with her. And she also plays Deering banjos. And I had said to her, I was like, man, these things play like butter. And she was like, that's the exact way I describe them too, is they play <laughs> like butter. So they're just, it, it's really cool to be a part of, of, of that. And for me, like she's my favorite banjo player. So it was really cool to, to actually have that interaction with her and pick up some tips and stuff. That is amazing. Now, before we get too deep into the new adventures, let's go back and learn about you as a musician, you as a person, how you've made it through this journey to where you are today. And I want to start off in small town, Alberta, of course, Airdrie, Alberta, where you grew up. And for the last, well, you mentioned sort of 20 or so years, you've been in Vancouver and living that sort of urban lifestyle, but you grew up on a ranch, just very country living. And so talk about that upbringing and sort of the country way of life that it was. Yeah. I mean, I would say like, I'm pretty, um, I grew up as country as it comes, you know, like we had a, we had a farm, we raised black Angus cattle and, um, and that was the, the family business. Um, and I always joke with my mom that she, she taught me how to ride a horse before she taught me how to ride a bike, you know, cause there was really nowhere to ride a bike, but there was everywhere to ride horses. And so I've never, I've, 
I didn't know a childhood any other way. Like going to the city to visit my friends was like a big deal, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, and doing city sleepovers where you could go to the corner store. You know, we didn't have that kind of stuff growing up. Um, but like, but I, we were close to Calgary. Like Airdrie is not that far. Um, but yeah, that's definitely um, a life that I'm really comfortable with. And I have to say, it surprises me sometimes when I think about it, that I live in Vancouver because I'm such a country girl. Right. Um, but I think the thing is that Vancouver is still such an outdoorsy city. And so it allows me to be outside a lot, which is what I love the most about living in Vancouver is the mountains and being able to get out hiking and, and being on the seawall and stuff. But anyways, so I think that's why Vancouver makes sense for me. I remember when I was choosing where to live, when I decided I wanted to pursue music full time and the options at that time were like, Toronto or Vancouver. Right, and for yeah. me, Vancouver felt like it was something that I could picture myself doing. I could never picture myself being in a massive city like Toronto. And right. I don't ever think I could, but, um, yeah, I think like, uh, yeah, the country it's, it's definitely a big part of who I am. And all often when I tell people that when it's like, Oh, I live in Vancouver. Oh, I'm actually from Airdrie. People are like, Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess whatever that means. I'm like, okay. <laughs> That's hilarious. And take me back to your days with the 4-H beef club and horse riding. And did you do that uh, like competitively a bit? I think I saw you holding a ribbon at one point for horse riding. Yeah, I was in, I was in the Airdrie 4-H club. I was in the horse club and the beef club. So I started out with in horse 4-H. I don't know if, how much your listeners will know about 4-H or not. Um, but 4-H is, is a, it's a program for, uh, rural youth. I mean, they have it now. I think they have like arts and crafts and stuff, but for me, it was, it was for the farming community and it was, if kids could be in it and you would learn how, what it took to raise a horse or what right. it took to raise a steer, or, you know, I think there was pigs and goats. I was involved in the horse and beef clubs. And so, oh, yeah, okay. so there would be, um, public speaking was part of it. You do public speaking competitions. Um, and then yeah, you just learn about what it takes, how much does it actually cost to raise your horse or raise your steer until you sell it for auction. It was things like that. Um, and so, yeah, so, and there would be competitions throughout us. So there would be, there would be horse showmanship and I was, I did okay. Like I had some ribbons. I wouldn't say I was like crushing it in the com competition department. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was a really great way to grow up and I'm still friends with some of those people that I was in 4-H with and Brandy was in 4-H too. So we both oh, have, okay. have, have that in common. Um, but yeah, so that, again, that was a big part of how I grew up. Like I, when I think about my two loves, it was definitely like horses and music. Those are the two things. And when I look back in old photo albums at my mom's place, it's like, yeah, that's all you see is either me with the horses, me with the cattle or me performing music. I was not athletic. I wasn't into anything else. Those were that was it. <laughs> right. And now take me back. I believe it was an Alabama concert. That was your first concert. Take me back to that concert and what age you were and what you remember of that concert and how it maybe sparked your love of performing. I don't know. I don't remember a lot about it. And my okay. mom said still that she's like, she's like, it was either Alabama or Amy Grant. And I'm like, I don't remember the Amy Grant concert, but I remember the Alabama concert. It was at the Saddle Dome. Like I remember watching it and it being a big deal. Um, right. But I can't say that I remember how old I was. I don't remember any of the songs. Like I want to say that would have, you know, honestly, I have no idea. Like I'm trying to think about 
what would have been like the songs coming out at that time, but I have no idea. But I, I mean, I loved it. I, I loved going to concerts. We didn't go to a lot of concerts. I remember being a kid and seeing Brooks and Dunn and Ronnie okay. Dunn to get me and I caught it. Oh, really? Oh, nice. I don't have it still. Like, I wish I did, but that was in Medicine Hat at okay. the, like, at the egg show in Medicine Hat. Like, if you can picture that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it was, and I went to a lot of musical theater. My mom was really into musical theater and okay. I would perform. I, I was never in theater, um, but I would do musical theater performances. So we did a lot of that too. Right. And on the songwriting side, tell me about writing poems about your pony, Jenny, and how that maybe spurred your love of writing and sort of brought you into songwriting later in your years. You did great research. Oh, my God. When we were trying. Oh, God, I. I have them somewhere. There's photos on my phone because I think I recited them on the internet. And oh, okay. I can't remember how I found them, but I read these poems and I was like, I was very dramatic. My pony Jenny was, <laughs> I loved her. She was so sweet. She was my first horse. She's my sister's. And then she was mine. Oh, okay. And um, had her, she she died on our farm, like had her, her whole life. And like she was, I loved that horse. And so, yeah, I had written these poems about like missing her when she had died. And oh man, yeah, that's funny. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And on the music side, and uh, taking you back a bit as well, I saw a photo of you. You were sitting at the piano playing the guitar and there was someone else sitting behind you playing the piano and you looked to be maybe about nine years old. Yeah, that was my sister. My oh, sister okay. was the one who was way more musical before me. Um, like she was the one always singing around the house. And so my mom put her in singing lessons. Um, and I just wanted to do whatever my sister wanted to do. And okay. so I went into singing lessons too. And my sister was way more talented than me. Like she had such a beautiful voice. I see my mom a long time ago was able to pull out some like home videos. And I was like, wow, no wonder you put her in singing lessons. I have no idea why you put me in them because <laughs> I was horrible. Like I just, I had a like, I had some, I had a flair for showing off, I think was really more how I ended up in this was I, oh, okay. I pretty fearless, not super shy. <laughs> So you were more on the performance side of it then maybe when you started out more than the musicality of it? Yes, yes. I would say that I was, you know, I'm the youngest. I was very good at trying to show off and uh, use the musical stuff, I guess, as my way of showing off. <laughs> right. And now I believe you went to Red Deer College and got a music diploma. And so within that, within that time of your life and after high school, what was your vision of a career in music? You know, I, um, I don't know other than I knew I wanted to be a musician. Like I knew I wanted to be like a performer. Like I wanted to be a star. Right. Um, and so, but I didn't know where to go to school and a lot of schools, you know, in hindsight, I wish, no, Red Deer College was good, but sometimes I wish I had gone further, like done Red Deer College and then continued my studies right. um, in music. Um, but I was so determined that I knew that I wanted to be like a performer and a lot of schools cater more to the jazz studies or the classical studies, which again, now in hindsight, I'm like, I can see how helpful that is. But I just, I knew I was like, I want to do like pop music, country music, like, like your top 40. Like I wanted to do that. Um, but Red Deer College was amazing. And I know that it was a big boost for my confidence because when I had to go and do the audition, um, you know, it's like mom tells me I'm good. 
but does anybody else think I'm any good? You know, it was kind of one of those, like, and you do these competitions um, and I, you know, I did pretty good in them. I won some of them, but again, it's like, well, did I win? Like, was I great or was I the best of the bunch? You know, like, and that sounds weird, but you, you hit this point and you're like, I don't know, am I actually any good? Or is everybody just supporting me? Cause they don't know how to say you're bad. And so oh, yeah. when I went and did my audition and I had to just go in the room and sing, um, and it was Keith, Mann. he's since passed away and he was a huge influence on me. Um, but, and he was, and he said to me, he's like, you're really good. And you're going to do really great in this program. And I remember just being like, oh my God. Okay. Okay. Somebody other than my mom said I was good at this. And so that was a, it was a big, that's what that college, that's what that did for me apart from learning, because I did learn a lot in the program and, and, um, it gave me the confidence to be like, okay, you can pursue this. This isn't just, you're not just a living room performer. Like you can actually go out and do this for a living. And again, Keith Mann uh, was a huge influence for me in that, in, in the type of professor who like was like, you can do anything you want. Like you've got this, you could do it. Like you have something. And I, I remember that that was a big influence for me. Okay. And so you graduate and you move off to Vancouver and you get a job at Warehouse Studios and Brian Adams is all of a sudden your boss. And so within that move and getting a job in the music industry, was your mindset on being an artist or did you have any clue at that point of what life looked like at that point? Man, I remember that was wild. Like I've lived, I had lived in Vancouver for three months when I got the job at the warehouse and um, I had enrolled in Columbia Academy, which is a recording um, program. So to learn more about the recording side of things, okay. and again, it's just a way to be like, okay, what am I going to do next? I'll continue with the recording side of things. And I mean, people go to school there in hopes of getting a job at the warehouse. And I had only been, I had only gone to like three classes and I got the job at the warehouse through just a bit of luck and some people that I knew. Um, and so I didn't go to school anymore. I stopped going to school and I started working at the warehouse. Um, and I just remember it being like, I, I don't know how to describe it. It was awesome. It was super cool. Like you said, like Brian Adams was my boss and like the biggest bands, not even just in North America, but in the world were rolling through the door all the time. And, um, like REM were at my 21st birthday party recording. Yeah. They were recording at the studio. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they came out for my birthday. Like, but because I got surrounded by that so quickly, it all felt so normal. Like I was like, cool. Yeah. You just moved to Vancouver and you get a job. And now you're surrounded (laughs) by all these people. Like it's taken me to reflect now and be like, wow, that was pretty wild. Um, but yeah, I still always had it in my mind, um, that I still wanted to be an artist. Um, but I remember getting some really great advice from somebody, um, about taking that job. And they said, go there. Don't tell people you're a musician, just learn what it's like for them and what it is to be, to be an artist. And, and, and I was like, man, that's such great advice. And so I was very careful not to be like, Hey, welcome to the warehouse. Did you know that I'm a singer? You know, like I kept it, to myself and and as people got to know me then they knew and then and then I I then those relations relationships came by more organically you know without right. forcing it on anybody it was more like if people showed any interest then I would share but I didn't push that on anybody um but yeah it was always in my mind and I didn't know how or when or what was going to happen um but I just sort of immersed myself in that world and I'm so glad that I did like it was that was wild <laughs> And so when Dave Ogilvie 
approaches you about this project that he's thinking about called Jackalope. And it's this more industrial rock based artist thing. Now, at that point, did you have this idea that you wanted to be a country artist because that's how you grew up? Or at that point, whatever offer would have come your way at that time, would you have jumped at it? I mean, I was getting a lot of different opportunities that would come and then go. Like we would have the Disney people come in and they'd be like, well, you know, we do need somebody to sing for this part and you can come up and try. And I would go up, you know, maybe like after hours and they'd sit at the piano and we'd sing, but nothing would ever come of it. And I remember I did background vocals for a Mandy Moore song one time that was like being used in a movie. I don't even know if they used it or not, but they needed somebody and I went and did it. And so when, when, um, when Dave Ogilvie asked me about this project, I was doing some singer songwriter much more down the country vein um, on my own. Um, And when he asked me and he sent me uh, some tracks, some like industrial tracks, like I'd never like listened to anything like that. I I remember when, when he would take, like when we would drive in his car and he would put on the country station and he would be like, name that person. And I could name all of them. And he used to find it really funny, but I just, I knew my country world so much and I didn't know this other world at all. Um, So I, I didn't know what was going to happen with that either. Like, again, other opportunities would come my way and then they would just sort of disappear. And so I started writing melodies and lyrics to this stuff and, and he liked it and we started recording it. And I remember we were just recording it at night, um, just messing around with stuff. And, and I didn't know what was going to come of it. I was having fun playing music with people that I really liked. Um, and then, yeah, it just, it, it took off, you know, and I hadn't really been telling a lot of people about it. Like I remember, um, you know, we were shooting music videos and we were doing all this stuff. And I still, I was kind of in the stage where I was like, I don't want to say anything because then I'm going to jinx it. And so I would kind right. of myself. And then my friends would be like, man, there was this girl on much music and she looked just like you, but like a goth version. And I was like, <laughs> oh yeah, that's me. <laughs> oh, wow. That's hilarious. And let's talk about much music. Now that you talk about it, because I am a Canadian of born, raised in the nineties and early two thousand. So much music is a huge part of my upbringing. And so just talk about being sort of on the inside of that during the heyday with Rick Campanelli and George Strombolopoulos and just being within that world and what it was like. Yeah, that was so wild. I mean, I didn't, I didn't have like cable television again, cause I grew up on a farm right. and so I didn't get much music as a kid. Um, but when I started working at the warehouse, that's like what we would play on the TV, like in the reception area all the oh, time. Okay. So I had, uh, so yeah, I had started watching, watching those guys and, um, yeah. And then they would be coming through the studio, like George and I met um, because he was friends with some friends of mine. And so he came through the studio, you know, like it was, it was all, that was how all those friendships happened was again, a lot of it had to do with the studio. Um, and, and then, yeah. And then to now be like nominated for much music video awards and get interviewed by like Rick, you said, and, yeah. and Ed Sock. that one's I've never, ever found that one online, but I did do an interview with them once. Oh, wow. And- you know, and George and I are still friends to this day. He's such a great guy, such a music lover. And um, so he and I still still are friends. And um, yeah, it was it was quite a trip and being and going to the Much Music Video Awards and like doing that red carpet. Like I remember just being like, what is happening? But at the same time being like, this is exactly what I wanted to happen in my life. Like I feel right. like a true testament to like, if you believe it, you can do it because I was 
way out of my zones. Like now looking back, I'm like, how did that happen to me? Other than I think it's just like, if you can dream it, you can do it. And I did. Right. That's what I was wondering. Like you said, with working at the warehouse, it didn't necessarily feel like super special because it's something that happened and you were within it and it it normalizes it. Right. So when you turned into jackalope and it started rising sort of organically like did you under did you have time to understand what was happening or did it happen so quickly it was that was life for you it's exactly what you said it normalizes it like everybody who was in and out of the studio well they were on much music all day long and they were they were the people that I got to know and they became my friends and so I was I was I was just entered into that world where these really successful bands were also the people that I would go have drinks with because we would all get to know each other from spending all this time in the studio together. And so you worded it correctly, like it normalized it. And when I look back now, I'm like, man, how cool is that, that you went through all of that? But I don't think, I mean, I just, I'm not trying to say that I took it for granted, but I just, I, since I was a little kid, I had my sights set on doing what I'm doing. And so I didn't really picture anything else. And so it did feel really normal to, to have it happen. Now that being said, I'm so grateful for it. Like, I'm not trying to say that I took it for granted. I just, I think it just, yeah, I just felt like this is what I'm going to do. And so then I just did it and not really realizing how special that is. And I'm definitely aware how special that is. (laughs) Right. And now one of the interesting experiences I looked at yesterday was your time on MTV Cribs and showing off your apartment now i i like i don't want to downplay it but i found it so funny like mtv cribs you think about these mansions and these superstars with their fridge filled with champagne and whatever and then we're coming into your three bedroom downtown vancouver apartment that has a bidet in it I know. It's, it's just like what was that experience like for you oh my god it was really funny i don't remember why I got that. I just remember that they were like, hey, MTV Cribs wants to come and do one. And we hear you have a pretty cool apartment. And I was like, sure, come on by. And so that was really funny and really cool. Um, I'm trying to remember who it was that my episode was with. Uh, Shoot. I can't remember, but it it was, it was pretty funny. Like, yeah, what a weird thing, (laughs) but I loved it again, like super cool, but just like, like, yeah, you say these things. And when I say it to people, it's like, I don't have fun party tricks, but I just have fun party facts. Like I'm like, Like, oh, that is hilarious. And so 2007 is when you made the decision to leave Jackalope and sort of go off on your own. Now, at that point, as you started to move more into the country realm, again, did you have a vision of what this looked like yet? Or were you still just flying by the seat of your pants? Flying a bit by the seat of my pants. But by then I had realized that I had felt like I'd skipped a few steps. You know, like, I was like, I don't know what it's like to tour in a van. I don't know what it's like to book all your own stuff. Like I was missing all of those elements and I felt like they were important. Um, And I just, you know, that, that music that I love was still pulling at me um, that I wanted to be a part of that. Like, again, I was so grateful for Jackalope and what I got to do in that. Um, But there was just a part of it that I needed to do something that felt a little more 
like me, I guess. I don't know. It's hard to explain because that was me too. Like I was definitely, I, I gave my all to that project, but I just felt my heart pulling me in another direction. And so, and so that's what led me um, to start doing my own solo stuff um, that just sort of felt a little, a bit, an, an, you know, another part of me that I wanted to show. And yeah, it was hard. Like, and it was, it was very humbling, you know, to be like, okay, yeah, it's not that easy. This right. is the hard part, you know, like, and I had a lot of the, you know, to this day, I still have Jackalope fans who follow me. And I'm really lucky because that carried through while I was, a lot of them have stuck with me through this journey that I've been on, which is right. really cool. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, I didn't know where I was going to land. I just knew that I needed to change course. Right. And now talking about landing during that time, you start your solo career and you start producing albums and you also start working as a flight attendant and traveling around the world. And I saw Hawaii and Los Angeles and Las Vegas were um, very popular destinations for you. And so as you started doing that, I saw you mention in 2014 that you were ready to hang up your music hat, move to Hawaii and open a frozen banana stand. And so that amazing. It Why does. am I not doing that? Yeah, exactly. And so when you look at that girl's trip in 2015, that was the formation of nice horse. When you look back on the six months before that, where was your mindset as a musician? Yeah. You know, I was working for an airline. Actually, I worked at the airport. I wasn't a flight attendant. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's okay. Most people assume flight attendant, but actually yeah. at the airport. Um, and I was really loving that. Um, it was definitely like the fulfilling me in the ability to travel and just, you know, music's a grind, man. Like it's yeah. hard. And I was just like, maybe life doesn't have to be so hard. Like I've experienced so many great things, all the things that you and I've talked about. I was like, I've done them. How lucky am I that I got to walk red carpets and travel to Japan and play sold out shows and meet some of like the world's greatest musicians. Like I was like, so maybe that was it. Maybe that was enough. And I should be proud of that. And, you know, people all the time change jobs, right? Like it's yeah. not uncommon for people to switch industries. And so I thought, why don't I do that? And, um, and I remember some people would be like, you're that you're never going to last doing that. And I was like, watch me. Like, why can't this be serious? Why can't I do something else? Um, and they were right, but <laughs> I just, yeah, I was just in this frame of mind that I just, I didn't want to do the grind anymore. Um, and I felt like I had done all that I could do that I was, and I was, I was very content. I remember feeling very at peace with my decision, like being okay with it and feeling like I wasn't going to have any regrets. Um, and then we took our girl's trip to Hawaii. And then everything changed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How soon after that trip did things change? Because you went on that trip, you started writing, you found that you had maybe better chemistry than you thought. But at that point, it was just a fun project that you bring out at the Calgary Stampede to have some fun. Now, how quickly after did it turn into something that you were like, "Uh oh, it looks like I'm getting pulled back into something here. Instantly. Because here's the thing about me and Brandy and Krista and Tara, Tara wasn't, wasn't there at that time, but none of us know how to do music as a hobby. Like we are all very, very organized, very thorough, very like 
you got to meet us to understand it because I say it's, I don't know that we're essentially type A, but pretty much. And so when we came home, it was like, suddenly we were like making demos and making music videos and calling people. And, you know, we were just like, we were on it and, right. and on it in a way that we thought was doing it for fun. Like that was just <laughs> right. we are. like, we were like, this is fun. Let's make a music video. Let's do some demos because we didn't know how to do music any other way. That's just the way our brains work. And so I would say it was like, it took off but we definitely were the engine behind it. So to be like, I don't know how this happened. It's like, well, I know exactly how it happened. You got us together and we're like, we're crazy for music. And of course, you know, we didn't know any other way. And so what I didn't expect was I never had thought, again, I listen to country music all the time, but I hadn't realized or thought about the fact that we would be the only all-female self-contained country band. Right, yeah. And so- I didn't think that this band would take off any easier than anything else um, has. And and I should say, I feel very lucky because I feel like lightning has struck twice for me. Um, And both times I was very oblivious to the fact that it was happening. Um, But yeah. And so when we started telling people about it and people really perked up their interest um, and I remember people being like, this is what you guys should be doing. Like Brandy and Krista, were still going to keep on their project. I said, I was just going to come out for the stampede and I would jam with them every now and then we weren't going to take it seriously other than making demos and music videos. Um, but when people were like, all those other things you've been doing, you stop that and you should focus on this made us realize that we had something to be proud of and to keep going. And we were having a blast. Like we right, were having yeah. so much fun fun you know so that helped too like it's not like it was like whoa take your take your fun hats off to get serious it was like no we can be serious about this and still have a good time right and now what was that journey like for you because from your social media the years before that you were traveling a lot to Hawaii and like working for the airline you were traveling a lot it felt like and then sort of once you formed and in the 2016, 2017 range, you started spending a lot more time with the band on the road. And so just for you personally, within that life change, what was that like for you? Well, I spent a lot more time in Alberta again, which made my mom really happy. (laughs) Um, So, you know, it was fine because I still carved out time to go to Hawaii. I still do. The pandemic was like the pandemic made it where it was the first time I hadn't been to Hawaii in like 10 years or something like that. Like I would always like carve out time to go there. Um, and so it was, it was gradual because we still were, were taking it with like cautious optimism, you know, like it was like, let's see if this will work out, but I'm still keeping my job and my life's not going to change, you know? And, and I think the turning point for me really was when we got the Tom Cochran tour. Right. Yeah. Um, when we got that, I was like, wow, this is serious. Like I, Tom is willing to bring us out on the road with him and we're going to be playing stadiums or like arenas. And we haven't even toured this band before. We had played a few one-off shows and that was it. And for me, that was when, that was when there was a real turning point of like this, this could really, this could change everything. I think. And at that point, like you mentioned, within your career before that, it was sort of normalized. It wasn't necessarily, wow, this is so exciting. But at that point, when you're on stage singing Life is a Highway with Tom Cochran, and then a few months later, you played some shows with the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, who were someone that you listened to way back in your youth. At that point in your career, were you finally able to look at it and say, wow, look at my life, look at what I'm doing? I mean, 
Yeah. Like I remember when we were singing, I'll never forget it. I can picture it as if I'm looking at me and Brandy in particular, because we were the ones who got up and sang life is a highway with Tom. And I can picture that moment. And I remember being like, this ain't no cover song. Like that's his song. Right. And we we're singing the parts. Like that was so wild. Like I couldn't believe. And I, I remember being like, I can't believe that the, the this is a result of that band, like that we're here. And then the same with the nitty gritty dirt bands, <laughs> like the nitty gritty dirt band, like that's amazing. And I remember like, again, they would invite us up to sing with them. And I was like, what, what is happening? Like, this is so cool. And I feel like we have time and time again, been getting given those incredible opportunities where I, where I would say, only now is it starting to feel normal. And when I say feel normal, I mean, I know this is where I'm supposed to be. And we have been welcomed by the country music community. So when it feels normal, it's because those people have said, you belong here. Right, you're yeah. part of this. You are part of this family. And that's where it feels so good. But I don't take it for granted. But I just feel very, very grateful that I don't feel like we're outsiders trying to climb in. I feel like we are, we were welcomed in and we are here and we are all in it together. And so these musicians that seem like these big, huge, massive musicians, we have the same conversations that anybody else does. And everybody has the same like troubles and celebrations and nobody ever feels like it's a journey that's never over because some of the most accomplished musicians are like, man, you've done so much. And they're like, oh, but I'm still trying to do this and trying to do that. You <laughs> yep. know, like it's a never ending climb. And that also like comes with like, a, it's kind of cool to see because I feel that way. And so when, when younger or newer artists come up to us and they're like, man, you guys have done all this stuff. I'm like, who us? Like we haven't done anything yet, you know? And so you feel ready now, but let's talk about 2020 and you had released your debut album. There goes in the neighborhood was released in 2017. And then, so the end of 2019, beginning of 2020, you're finally releasing new music. You travel over to Switzerland to play some shows. And that's basically the day the world shuts down. Now as a band, what was that time like? Like, were you at that point secure enough in what you had done as a band to know that you were going to make it through that time? No. When you said 2020, I instantly rolled my eyes and not at you, but at 2020. Right. Yeah. Man, is exactly what you said. Like that it was like, we were doing this and we were like, finally, 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 this is so awesome. And then it was like hitting a brick wall. And, um, I, yeah, my whole life changed like, cause I was also still working for the airline and I lost that too oh, okay. you know, as a result of the pandemic. Um, and I definitely thought that our band wasn't going to make it and not because I didn't want it to, but nobody knew what, what that, what was going to happen. And I remember thinking, how can a little band like ours get through this when even the big bands have been shut down right now? Like, how can we possibly get through this? Right. And so I do remember a day, like just like folding my laundry, like crying, just being like, this is over. Like it's done. And I wanted to literally just like throw my banjo out the window or set it on fire because I, I couldn't look at my instruments because I was so heartbroken. And again, this was early on and I know a lot of things happened, but that was just my feelings. I was just like, this is how it ends. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so no, I didn't know that we were going to make it through. And I'm so glad that we did. We pulled together, um, 
again, what I think what's so cool about this band is each one of us have our moments where we are just crumbling and somebody else in the band is there being like, nope, no, we got this. It's okay. Here's what we're going to do. Like somebody is always the cheerleader when someone else is falling. And so we each took our turns being the cheerleaders during that time and rallying together to make sure that we didn't fall apart. And we actually did some of, we had some of our biggest successes during 2020 and 2021 of all things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How did that go? Because we'll talk about the music video for high school in a second, but as far as the newer music that you have out, was that stuff that was sort of done over zoom rights and, and done within the pandemic? It had been done. So MS and cowgirl were both recorded before the pandemic. Um, And so hot mess, and we had to shot the music video for Hot Mess, um, which is one of my favorite music videos that we've ever done. Um, we did that one with Lisa Mann. And Lisa Mann, here's a fun fact, but you might have figured this out because you really did your research. <laughs> but Lisa Mann directed all of the Jackalope music videos. Yes. Yeah. And so awesome. I, had, I knew she was going to love Nice Horse. So I called her. And so she has since directed almost every Nice Horse music video. And she did the hot mess one with us. She totally understood the vision that we were looking for and like helped us find the drag queen um, because I had, I had called her and I was telling her about hot mess. And we had had this actual real life experience opening up for Trixie Mattel, the drag queen, Trixie Mattel. Right. Yeah. And backstage, there were a whole bunch of drag queens and they were like telling us like, oh, honey, here's how you do your eyeliner, or these are the lashes you should be wearing. And I was like, man, you are more beautiful women than I've ever seen. And you really know how to do this. And so I had told Lisa this story and I was like, this should be our video for hot mess. And so she got it and we got him. But anyways, um, so we had released those weeks. So we had that stuff ready to go. Okay. We didn't have anything for cowgirl and cowgirl ended up being the song that went top 30 for us. Our very first top, I think it went to 31 on the charts. Um, And so we had released Hot Mess during the pandemic and then now we're ready to release Cowgirl and we didn't have a music video for it um, and we couldn't get together and the world was shut down. And so that was when we ended up going to a graphic design, like a graphic art illustrator company who made the cowgirl video for us, turning us all into like superheroes. Right. Yeah. So that was how we got through that one. And then the video for high school, which is also nominated for a CCMA, I believe. Yeah. How crazy is that? Yeah. Music video of the year. So you talk about Lisa being in your corner for all the other music videos, but this one, because of the pandemic and not being able to get together, you decided to do it as a band. And so you sort of shot your parts in where you were, and then you produced and did the whole thing. And so what is that like to have this one video that you as a band worked on yourselves to be the one that is nominated for the award? Man, it's so crazy. I mean, I will say that I feel like I feel here's there's two parts to this. One, I really feel like Hot Mess should have gotten like a music video nod. And I truly think that that's probably just a result of the pandemic because it it couldn't have been more difficult time for when that came out. And so I still feel, and I remember like that video was up for a lot of nominations and various things and it, and it never did win. And we, as a band, we were like, that video deserves to win. <laughs> um, but then there's high school. And so after we had done cowgirl and we did the cartoon, um, we were like, well, still a pandemic 
and we still need another music video and we can't get together and we can't do another cartoon because we also all lived in different cities, right? So I'm in Vancouver. Tara has since moved to Calgary, but she was living in London, Ontario. Oh, okay. And then Brandy and Krista were in Edmonton and Calgary. So we weren't, we couldn't even be a part of each other's like bubble. Right. Yeah. I was told not to get on airplanes. Like, so we couldn't be together. So there was no way, like, I'm very envious of those bands that lived in the same cities and they could just be like, you know what, we're going to be, we're going to be our bubble. Like we didn't have that. And so we needed another idea to make a music video. And again, this band, they're the people who, if someone's falling, someone else will be there to like cheerleader and pick them up. And, and uh, Krista had been doing a lot of video editing for us during the pandemic. It was a, a skill that she had picked up and Brandy is really great at, um, at Photoshop and things like that. And so it was just through one of those brainstorms that it was like, here's what we could do. What if we make a, what if we make a yearbook come to life? And we were like, do we know how to do that? No. <laughs> if it doesn't work out, does it matter? No. What else are we doing with our time? nothing. So why don't we just try? And if it doesn't work, no big deal. And so we ordered green screens and Brandy and Krista started learning the skills that they needed for putting it together. And they wrote up the, like the different like screenshots. We, we uh, like summoned all of our fans and friends to be like, we need high school videos or high school photos. I couldn't even go home to get, cause at one point we were like, let's see if we can get our grad dresses. But again, I can't get home to go get it. So we needed to just work with what we had. And so it was ordering the green screens, ordering, you know, using our iPhones and just figuring out the best, like format to shoot on your iPhone and dressing ourselves and just picking out the outfits. And so for the, like, I mean, in one hand, it's like, it took a pandemic to make that happen because if somebody asked us to do that today, I'd be like, I don't have time. I don't have five minutes for myself anymore. So no, we're not doing that. Whereas this, we had nothing but time. Um, and so the fact that that is our video that got the nomination. I'm very proud of that too, because we did that ourselves. And to me, it's a testament to this band and the the women that I am so fortunate to be in this band with that, that nothing is impossible. And the fact that that got recognized is like really cool. (laughs) That's amazing. And recognition on the show side, I wanted to talk about a couple of shows. So in September of last year, you had the chance to play the, the Labor Day Classic halftime show in Calgary to a full stadium of football fans. And then uh, earlier this year, just uh, I guess a month ago, you had the opportunity to play Cavendish Music Festival. Now, what does it feel like to come back as a band after that crappy time and have these opportunities? Amazing. Amazing. Like I said, like, I can't believe you're giving me goosebumps right now. Like remembering these things and being like, I can't believe we made it through and made it through bigger and better, but still getting opportunities like that. It's funny. Cause I'm actually talking about going to the football game with a friend of mine, um, next week. And, oh, and nice. we were talking about that, that I was like, well, yeah, I played that last year. And I was like, I played that last year. Like, <laughs> I can't even believe that. That was a really cool really great opportunity. We absolutely loved doing that. And I would do that again 
like in a heartbeat. Um, and then, yeah, being able to get back, like this was our first summer that felt like summer again, like since 2019, we were so busy and, and Cavendish. Yeah. Cavendish was a special one for me. Um, because my mom is a maritimer from New Brunswick and, um, my grandma's from Prince Edward Island. And so to go out there, all a bunch of my cousins were able to come to the show and they hadn't seen us play yet. Cause we hadn't done any Atlantic Canada shows yet. Oh, okay. Um, so that was really fun. And I mean, we got to play, tons of festivals that were packed and you could feel when we walked into Cavendish, I think Cavendish was the first one that was the big festival where we, where we walked in and I was like, look at this, it's happening. Like, this is a festival. People have their chairs and their backpacks and they're in for a good time and they're camping. And um, yeah, that it was really cool. And so you guys have been really busy. And so what does the future hold for your music? Have you had any chance to be working on new music? We have, we've still been writing. We've been able to get ourselves back down to Nashville more regularly. We used to do that all the time before the pandemic. Um, and now we've been able to fit that in again. And we have recorded some new tunes um, and we've been playing them live. Um, so I don't know when those are going to be released, um, but I am hopeful something will be released by the end of the year, if not uh, at the beginning of the year. These things take time, which is like, I would like to just like put them out there right now, but <laughs> yeah. we got to wait. <laughs> And I saw that, I think it was 2020, you were able to leave your day job, leave WestJet and just to focus on the band. And so within this career, as you look at it, all the amazing things that have happened and how far you've come and now the opportunities that you have with this band, just on that whole journey, what feelings do you have when you look back on it? Well, you made me feel really emotional today because that feels feels pretty good. <laughs> like I, I'm really proud of the things um, that I've been able to do um, that I guess it just this was just the path that was meant for me because it just keeps showing up. You know, like I said, I tried to quit and it was like, nope, we got you. <laughs> um, and, you know, and even like I lost my day job, but I didn't lose my band, you know, like it could have been the other way around. Right. Yeah. Um, so I just, all signs keep pointing to like sticking with this path. And, you know, every year at the end of the year, I look back and I'm like, is this band further ahead than it was last, than it was last Christmas? You know, I'll do it every year. And every year the answer is yes. Like we've done something new. We've hit another milestone. We've done something that, um, that tells me that we're on the right path. And also like, I'm just not done with it. Like, I love this band. Like, I feel like we haven't even scratched the surface of, of all that we can accomplish. And so I remember the thought of it being over because of the pandemic. I remember being like, but I'm not ready. Like, I'm not ready for this to end. And I still feel that way. Like, I feel like we have a lot in us to give, a lot in us to say. Um, we're really proud that, uh, that we inspire young women um, and that we really speak out for the LGBTQI plus community. Um, all of that is really important to me and I feel like it's only just beginning, you know? Thank you once again so much for listening and thank you to Katie for stopping by and sharing her story. Be sure to check out all of their music and keep an eye out for new stuff coming soon. Please also be sure to check us out on social media. We're available on all platforms. So just head over, search Country Music Made Me and give us a follow. You can also visit countrymusicmademe.com where you can sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content. And lastly, if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review or a rating. It very much helps and is very much appreciated. Thank you so much once again for listening and we'll see you next time on Country Music Made Me. Music